But we love to greet you all in the name of Jesus. We are in the middle of a series, uh, and the title of it is God is Working in You and Through You. And we are using as our main text, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and verse 13. In the King James, it reads, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So we've defined what it means to work out our salvation. We made the observation that the Bible didn't say we must work for salvation, but that we must work out our salvation. And our understanding is that the word salvation is a comprehensive word. Actually, when you read it in the Greek language, it means to be saved, to be set free, to be made well, to be made whole. It talks about coming into full maturity. It's an all comprehensive word. Therefore, our understanding is that when it says we need to work out our salvation, it gives the understanding that after we have received Christ and received that part of salvation being born again, after we have become God's children, from that day, we need to take responsibility for our lives to grow into full maturity in other areas of our lives. And we need to do it. And we need to take initiative that we come into the fullness of who we potentially are. And that is something that God said we need to do. He says, work out your own salvation. In other words, don't be looking at your neighbor and saying, ah, they're not becoming such and such. Look at yourself. And it says, do so as you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And this is not the fear of being scared or fear that paralyzes us. But it's a, a fear of understanding that we can only be who we should be when God works in our lives. It's a fear of also understanding that we are here on borrowed time. We are on this earth, not forever. We are here to fulfill a purpose and a mission. Every person in this place, you have a mission that God has for you. Whether you found it out or not is another thing. But we're trying in this series to help people understand what their purpose is. Why did you come into this world? Why are you shaped the way you are shaped? And we're using the word shape as an acronym. We talk about spiritual gifts. We talk about heart, H for heart, or passion. And then uh, A for ability, P for personal style, E for experiences. We've gone through all of that. And so we are saying we want to work out our own salvation. We want to identify how God has saved us so that we serve our purpose in life. We came into this world for a reason. And that the reason why I am who I am and I'm made the way I'm made, even my experiences, even the bad ones, you know, uh, they are there to help equip me to fulfill a mission. Amen. Ephesians 2.10, when we read it in the uh, King James Bible, says it says, for we are God's workmanship. We are God's workmanship, rather the NIV Bible. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So it means before you came into this world, there is what the Bible calls good works. So you can call it 
your assignment, which was prepared for you even before you came into the world. And that is why it says we are God's workmanship. In other words, when God molded you and crafted you in your mother's womb, he made sure he molds and crafts you and puts inside of you all that you will need to be able to fulfill your assignment. But there are many people who never live to that. Many people who don't know why they're here on earth and they never live up to that assignment. Your assignment, my assignment, might not be a big one. You know, it might not be an assignment that brings you in front of cameras. You might not be there in newspapers. You might not be, you know, headline story. You may never be famous. Or it might not even be something that brings in a lot of money for that matter. But nevertheless, when you do and fulfill your assignment, you will know inside of you, this is what I was born for. This is why I came into the world. And no matter how, how small your assignment might be, your assignment is needed. In that verse, the New Living Translation says, for we are God's masterpiece. Look at your neighbor and say, hey, you look like a masterpiece, you know. I didn't know that I'm sitting next to a masterpiece. We, we, we are God's masterpiece. Note what it says. It says, he created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things which he planned for us long ago. So your assignment was set long ago, long before you even were born, long before you even came into the world, and you, you know, I was saying in the first service, and you all know it, you know, you know, you know uh, when we got conceived, it was just the one sperm that fertilized the egg. After millions of sperms were released by the men, I won't go into the graphic details, I see some of you are blushing like you don't know what I'm talking about. You know, church people are funny people, they want to act like, ha, ukulumanga nilobaba. You know what I'm talking about, right? Think about it, think about it. Of the millions of sperms that were released, there's just the one, the one that survived a hostile environment, <laughs> swam and outswam the rest of the brethren or the sistren or whatever they are, and fertilized the egg. And then that egg survived and developed. God shaped and molded you. So if Kiri, you are one in a million, I mean it. Because that's who you are. Think about it. One in a million. Nobody like you. Nobody shaped like you, framed like you. Nobody like you. You can't tell me when you're one in a million, you're going to live a mediocre life. I go on a man. Can't be. There's going to be a reason why. You are who you are. And that's what we are trying to explore in this lesson together. You know, when God spoke to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1, 4, and 5, says, then the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah, saying, before I formed you in the womb. I'm reading the Amplified Bible. It says, I knew you and I approved of you. God approved of you. Yeah, yeah. God approved of you. You may not have grown in a background where you were affirmed, where you were approved. Maybe when, 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 when your parents got pregnant of you, maybe they went oops. But there was no oops with God. No, there was no oops with God. God knew you were coming. God knew you were on the way. He says, before, before I formed you, before your mom and dad looked at each other and went, hey, baby. Even in circumstances where your conception was that your mom was violated and raped. Even in that instance, you are still no surprise to God. God may not have endorsed the circumstances around your conception, 
But God's not going to let you float by without purpose in life. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it might be that you grew up without a dad, without a mom, without knowing your identity, without knowing where you come from. That's what it is in the natural. But don't let that define you, please. Yeah, you, 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 you come from the heart of God himself. And sometimes I've found and I've realized that sometimes, you know, when you're born in difficulty and your life is a difficult one, you, you are the best candidate that God wants to use. Because your story is a compelling story. You, you can be able to connect with people in your situation. And I've, I've listened to Solima Tlangu when he sings, you know. Can hear when he sings. He's trying to lift people up. He was here, you remember, some time ago, and gave us a testimony that his mom, she, was conceived, she conceived him after having been abused by one of the people that she worked with. And the guy distanced himself from the pregnancy. So he grew up without knowing his dad, been raised by a single mom, went through so much in his life. And he said, you know, I just long for the love of a dad. You know? And when you find out when you're already grown up who your dad is, who your mom is. But he said, in spite of that, in spite of the pain, this is what God has done in my life. Don't allow your beginning to define your destiny. Your life is in the hands of God. We are God's workmanship. We are God's masterpiece. Yeah, the circumstances around our conception and around our birth may not have been the best. Maybe you were were found in a rubbish dump, thrown away, thrown away there. They found you and you grew up in a home of kids who are abundant. But you are still God's masterpiece. Tell your neighbor you are still God's masterpiece. Ah, you're still God's masterpiece. God says to Jeremiah before, I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and I approved you. I approved you as my chosen instrument. It's in the Amplified Bible. And before you were born, I separated you. Oh God. I sent you apart, consecrating you, and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Imagine, even before he is conceived, God already is ready to craft and and shape and model and and design a prophet. Not just to a nation, but a prophet to the nations. Many of us, we live below who God made us. Sometimes because of what we experience in life. Oftentimes when we are children, we are alive to what God purposed for us in what we want to give our lives to. But as we grow up, you know, we mess it up. (laughs) Because we see other things that come in and we would love to be that, but oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes in our childhood, there are things that you wanted to become. During the week, I was with uh, uh, someone that I was, I met, Peter Sebake, someone that I'm mentoring. And when we were talking, he said something that really made me to take notice, and I wanted to know his background. He, he, he grew up in the rural areas of our country from a very poverty-stricken family. His dad hadn't gone to school at all, 
And he said, when he was telling me the story, he said, my dad couldn't read, but my dad taught himself to read when he was much older. And he said, my dad was a, he had the gift of a teacher. He was a teacher. He was born as a teacher. And what my dad did was the minute he learned how to read, he bought a lot of books and he would call kids in this community that had no library. And at my home, the kids would congregate there and he would read to them and encourage them to read. And he said, and, and I want you to listen carefully, he says, when I saw this, as a child, I wanted to do this. You see, there are, there are, listen to me, there are certain things that when you see somebody who has the same kind of calling that you have, something leaps on the inside of you. I mean, even as a child, says, I, was, I was a young guy, and, 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 I, and all I wanted to do with my life is to be a teacher. And, and, and so he, he went to school under those difficult circumstances. He went and qualified. He's got high qualifications. And, and I mean, right now, he's running several companies, and he is, he is having access to like 38,000 children teaching them mathematics in the... In the, in the, in the, in the don't worry, as long as you can hear me. <laughs> you can pray to see me in a short while. Jesus says, in a short while you'll see me, in a short while you won't see me. <laughs> and he says that uh, he has access to the 38,000 children. And he, he teaches them mathematics. And he was telling me about those many schools there that are having great results. And he's, they've already produced uh, one young man who's an actuary actual sciences, and he, he was groomed by them. And he said, my heartbeat is that of a teacher. And he says, I love teaching. And I, I could see when he was talking, you could see in his eyes, you know, fire in his eyes. You, you see, some of you, you haven't put yourself in a position where the baby in your womb is leaping. And sometimes when you meet somebody who has a gift like yours, when you watch them, you just come alive. And that's what God wants. He wants you to serve in an area where you are passionate about it. It might be a difficult area. It might not always bring hallelujah and amen. But when you serve there, you feel fulfilled. In fact, when you serve there, you kind of feel like this is what I was born for. It should be a sad thing, Barcelona, to go through life and never have that excitement of serving. And unfortunately, there are many people in the world who just coast around in life. And the reason is, they've just never tried to find out. Who am I? What, what did God make me to be? You see. I was listening to John Piper, one of the greatest Bible teachers ever. I, I just love John Piper. And I, I bumped into the sermon, and he, he's talking about a wasted life. And he made a statement. Uh, uh, he actually said a few things that he actually worked out in his teenage years what he was called for. And it was because of a Bible study he had gone to and some statement that someone made. And he said, even if I was a, a teenager, I started thinking about what am I going to give my life to? He said, I was young, but I, I started thinking, but what am I, going to, what am I going to give my one and only life to? And then he made this statement that shook me. He said, you see, in everything in life, you can always have a second chance or a second take. 
with life, once you die, that's it. That's it. Once, once you've lived your life, once you die, that's it. There's no second take. And whatever you will have done with your life before you died, that defines your life and that becomes what you're going to account for before God. And he said, when I, when I, when I saw that as a teenager, I thought, whoa, what am I going to give my one and only life to that has no second chance? I'm not talking about God never giving us a second chance in our lifetime. That's not what I'm talking about. But once you've lived out the fullness of your life, you, you can't come back and correct. That's what I'm saying. You're not going to come back as a locust or as a what? You, you're not, you're not, you're not. Look at the neighbor and say, you're not coming back, bro. You're not coming back. Yeah. And he said, he says, from that stage, I started trying my best to live out my life in the area of my calling. And many people in life never work it out. Many people who just coast along in life, they don't know what their purpose is, and therefore they never give themselves to that purpose. And for that reason, they're the most unfulfilled people you'll find, even if they earn a lot of money. They may have fame, they may have notoriety, they may have everything, but there's something inside that's not satisfied. Yeah. And we need to ask God to help us. And one of the ways, if I may say, it's, in the, it's towards the end of my message, but let me say it now. One of the ways that you can find out is that you must just start serving. That's why we give people a chance in our church to serve. Serve anywhere. There is a place where when you serve there, something will happen on the inside. And you will know this is what I'm called for. Can I hear a good amen? Can I hear a good amen? And so we noticed in the Bible that the Bible tells us about gifts that God has given. In Romans 12, and we are revising, okay, so I'm not going to read those. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter chapter 4, Exodus 35. When you read these scriptures combined and others, there's something like 30 to 36 gifts that the Bible tells us about. And these gifts are given to us by God. Most of us have more than one gift. In fact, I, I dare to say all of us. If it is that you have been marginalized, at least you have one. <laughs> and I don't, think, I don't think so. I think most of us, we have more than one gift. And these gifts, just to name a few in the Bible, are the gifts of administration, craftsmanship, creative communication, encouragement, hospitality, leadership, mercy, teaching. We're revising from last week. All right? So last week, we looked at the gift of administration. We tried to define it. What I've done on purpose is to try, as we read about a specific gift, to go to the verse that talks about this gift. Now note this. These gifts are not meant exclusively to be used in church. These gifts are to be used in life. Are you understanding me? And remember, your life is a continuum. Right? Your life is a continuum. You are, the same, you, are, you, are, you are the same person. It's just that you happen to live in a house. So, you know, you go to work and you go to church. But you're the one person. And this gift can work in any of those areas. Okay? You don't shift that when you come to church, now you're another person. And this is where people have kind of have this contradiction. Like, like when they come to church, all of a sudden they're different. You know, there's some people, once they get in the church, all of a sudden their voice is softer. <laughs> they're nicer. Tell your neighbor, the bishop saw you, you said, that nicer. You know, you know. 
<laughs> and that's why with us as the clergy, I've never understood why they want to train us this way at Bible school, that when you preach, you must have a preaching voice. Yeah, oh, Jesus. <laughs> the Lord is coming. And he's going. So you have a preaching voice, and you have a conversation voice, and you have another voice for at home. Ah, sugar man. Must just be one voice. <laughs> but these gifts, Barcelona, they work anywhere, whether you are in a in a secular job, whether you're in church, whether you're in politics, it doesn't matter. These gifts work. And every one of us here, you have at least one gift. I want to argue, I think you have at least two gifts. They can work concurrently, okay? Uh, but these gifts, you need to know them. You need to know how to identify them. So just for the next 10 minutes I've got, I want us to talk a bit about the leadership gift, which we find in Romans chapter 12. If I can have that scripture, please. Particularly in the NIV Bible. In the NIV Bible. In fact, let's start at verse 4. I know the, the computer was giving us problems. All right, let's start at verse 4, okay? All right. Now, you, we're going to read together, class. Is that okay? Yes. Class, we're going to read together. Yes. Are you ready, class? Yes. We're going to read together, class. So please read with conviction, all right? Just look at them and say, read with conviction. Please read with conviction. Now, I'll tell you what. I want you to read this so that you see that it's in the Bible. Okay? I want to see. So most people have not understood the Bible addresses every aspect of our lives. You know, I, I watch it in the secular when people come up with, with certain concepts. And, and you see the way they're proud that they've come up with a new concept. And I look at this new concept and I say, this has been in the Bible all along. Uh, please don't close the doors, Baba. So please, we are fending ourselves. Okay, are you ready to read, class? All right, let's read. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. Keep going, please, at the back. So in Christ, we though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. You're doing good, class. Verse 6. We have what? Different gifts. Somebody say different gifts. Different say it again. Different. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm so glad I'm not like you. <laughs> all right, so we have what? Different gifts. Note what it says. It says what? According to the grace given to each one of us. Meaning that these gifts, we didn't get them because we deserved them. Okay? We didn't get them because we were more spiritual than others. It, it, it's God who decided to give you the gift. It came by His grace. Mahala. But what it also means, this verse, is that, listen, this is important. When you operate in your gift, the grace of God will be evident in your life. All right? Maybe we'll talk about the grace of God, but when you read about the grace of God, the grace of God is the favor of God. The grace of God, somebody said, it is, it is Christ's, it is God's riches at Christ's expense. The, the grace of God is when you get more than you worked for. Which means this, when you operate in your gift, you will get more results in that area than in any other thing. You will succeed where others are failing. They will not understand how you are making it. But that's because you are operating in your grace. Oh, according to the grace given to us. Now, let's, let's continue. It says, if your gift is 
Ah, classman, you are not doing well. Let's start again. If your then do what? So, what it says in that verse is that you have to operate your gift to the extent that you've learned to develop it and you've learned to depend on God to operate in that gift. So it means even if your gift, you have it, it has the potential to grow and become bigger. And you carry the responsibility to develop it. All right, next verse, next verse. Let's go. It says, if your gift is serving, then do what? Right? If the gift is, then do what? The people have the gift of teaching. They're great teachers. Amazing teachers. School teachers, I think people who teach at school should have the gift of teaching. I know growing up as a young man, there are some of our teachers, I was wondering what they're doing in class. Because I couldn't understand what the brother was talking about. There's one teacher we had, I'm telling you, Bazalana, who, there's one teacher we had, he, he was teaching us uh, trigonometry, you know, trigonometry. And you know how trigonometry is so tricky? That's why they call it trigonometry, because it's tricky. And we would say to him, we used to call him Menier, Menier, why do you say X equals Z? He would say, it goes without saying. <laughs> and, I, and I asked to wonder, well, you, you need to explain. I mean, how did you get to this conclusion? No, it goes without saying. I wanted to say to him, it says without going. <laughs> Explain. We found out later, Bazalwana, that this teacher actually didn't understand this subject matter. Yeah, you know, in class, he, you know, he stand in front of us as a class. You know, the, I don't know if you still have chalkboards, you young people. I don't know what you use. You're using, you're using iPads. We, we had chalkboards. It's a blackboard. Oh, yeah, I love that my age group is saying, yeah. So yeah, chalkboards. He would write and write, and he would go to the back of the class and stand at the back of the class. You know what we found out? He used to write the, the, the what you call on the palm of his hand. That's why the brother could not explain. It goes without saying. There's a lot of people who are doing it goes without saying. Service because they're in the wrong spot. They're in the wrong spot. And I found in our time, because corporal punishment was allowed, you know, Teach us that, that it goes without saying kind. They used to punish us. Yeah, they have to make up for their deficiency. Punish you. We had a teacher. I always talk about her. Memra Disa, Unaruruta Biology. Oh, that lady. Oh, my goodness. She made me not just love biology. I loved teaching. I loved teaching. She would come in class and say, page so and so. It talks about maybe the amoeba, Right? And then she'd just go, ta, 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 ta. I mean, I'd sit there riveted. And she says, she'd go, we'll pick it up there next time. This is one of those classes when she says, and now, uh, when she leaves, you want to go, ah. Oh. But some teachers, when they come in, you are saying, when is it? When, when, when? Remember, this is one of the most excellent teachers. She just made me love teaching. Because that's, that's the baby in my womb. That's the gift in my life, among others. You see? So when you, when you meet somebody who's operating in their sweet spot, they just make you love what they're doing. But there's some people have a little more, what are you doing there? And they have what about foster? So the teachers who were not teaching, who didn't have the gift of teaching, they used to beat us up. They beat us up that we don't understand, but they're the ones who must help us understand. And some of you, God's given you that gift of teaching. And that's why I tell people, if you don't have the gift of teaching, please don't run a home cell. 
Because in home cells, yeah, I, 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 I've attended many home cells. I've attended many home cells. And the most difficult home cells is the ones that the person doesn't know how to teach. And are the ones who are the only ones who are getting blessed. Have you ever been there where the guy is teaching and they're getting blessed? Marawana, you can't get the point. Have you ever, have you ever, have you? Oh, come on. Some of you don't understand what I'm talking about. He's getting blessed. And then he's saying, Amen. And then, and by Foster, Amen. Amen. And you don't even know what you're amening about. Because they don't know how to teach. But there are people who are incredible teachers. People who have the gift of teaching. They help you to understand any subject matter. Give you practicals. They don't leave you overwhelmed. They leave you with revelation and understanding. You don't get out of there feeling like, hey, Lomuntu knows so much. No, you go there feeling like, I can do this. See? Teaching. Let's go to the next verse. Next verse. Next verse. What, what verse is that? I don't know what verse we were on. Okay, so if it is teaching, teach. If it is to encourage. This is where... This is where exhortation comes in. This is where motivational speakers come in. So there's a room for motivational speaking. It's just that don't, don't replace preaching with it. You understand? It's, it's not preaching. It's motivational speaking. There's, there's the gift of encouragement, and people will, will talk about that. It says, if your gift is to encourage, then give encouragement. And if it is giving, then be generous. There are people who have the gift of giving. But the gift of giving goes hand in hand with the gift of making money. So I'll, I'll talk about that. Okay, there are people that God's just anointed you. It's like money is attracted to you. You just know how to make money. Some of you, you've been fasting and praying and the, it's running away from you, this gift. <laughs> <laughs> There's people who just, I don't know. And, and I must tell you the truth. I think unsaved people out there understand these things. There's people who have to go through certain rituals to become rich. Because they understand with money, yes, you can work for it and you can whatever. But there's also a special something, something that you can't learn in school. It's just, and it's a, so I'm saying in our case, we don't have to go and pay some, somebody there. God has given this gift free of charge to you. All right, let's go, let's go. If your gift is giving, then it says, give generously. So there are people that, that God uses to be kingdom financiers. There are people that God calls to be philanthropists. And, and, and so God gives you a lot of money to be a vessel to do good, not to keep it. Not to keep it. And we know many people in the world, they make a lot of money and they give a lot of it away. God can trust them with that gift because he knows when he gives them money, they're not going to use it on themselves. You can use it on you. But give a lot of it away. Then it says, if it is to lead. So there's a gift of leading. And note what it says. It says, do it diligently. And there's a reason why. There's a reason why. Because when you look onto our world today, you realize we have a leadership deficit. And the world crumbles. Because leaders are not leading as they should. It's amazing the drama that's unfolding around the world. Because of leaders. And it says, lead with diligence. And there's a reason why it says diligence. I won't go into it right now. But let me talk a little bit about the gift of leadership. Can I talk about the gift of leadership with you? Okay, so I just wanted to give you the verse. And there's more than one verse, by the way, that talks about that. The King James Version says, if it is ruling, you must rule. And, but it's the word leadership. Now, you can find other scriptures, and I'm not going to read them. Hebrews 13, 17, you can read it at home. Luke 22 
verse 25 and 26. Now, the literal meaning of that word used in the Bible of leadership, it means to stand before. To stand before. So, the gift of leadership, watch this now, is the divine enablement given by God to stand before people and do the following. Cast vision, motivate people, direct people to harmoniously accomplish the purposes of God or the purposes of an organization. So, there's leaders. And you know, right now, and, and, I, and please, I just want to be very careful what I'm about to say. We know the problems that we have in our communities. I was in, uh, in Deep Slot during the week uh, at the memorial service of the pastor who was murdered there. It's, it's, it's a, it's, it's a heart-wrenching story. Heart-wrenching story. So I, I went there and I, I, I gave the, they asked me to come and preach there. And there was a one young man who came up and he was saying, Nistola Labafundis, we are tired of being murdered. He said, I am going from community to community. I didn't know that they have 22 extensions there or 20 something. He says, I'm going from extension to extension, having meetings with people because we must, we must discuss and agree of how to respond to this attack. I am telling the community to go and have, take rap, buy weapons, we must protect us. And you know, you can criticize the young man all you would. I'm not agreeing with him. But he, he, he's trying to give leadership where there's a vacuum. And instead of us criticizing them, why don't we get close to them and help them? Because they are rising to the occasion. We have many leaderless communities where things are falling apart and people with the power and the ability to do something, they're doing nothing. The best is for them to have a strategic meeting. And I don't know about you, I'm just up to here with these strategic meetings. Leaders, what they do is they stand before people and the first thing leaders do is to give vision. Because vision, Mamelang, vision is a picture of a preferable future. People with a leadership gift help people to look beyond the present and the current. They're not denying where people are at. They try to paint a picture of possibility. This is where we're at, but this is what we can become. And that's what Nehemiah did. That's what we see in the Bible. Nehemiah comes to a people who are demoralized. They try to rebuild the walls. They have given up on the mission. What does he do? He goes around. He does a feasibility study. He admits the problem. He goes on his knees. He prays to God. Then he goes to the community and he mobilizes the community. And the gift of leadership is an important one because it gives vision. But in that vision... Vision motivates people. Because in the case of Nehemiah, the people were demoralized. They were, had stopped building. We have many places in our communities where people have accepted the status quo. 
People don't think things can be different. And some of you who have the leadership gift, you are in these communities, but you don't go to these community meetings. Nor do you stand up to be elected as a chair. Look at the neighbor and say, I've never seen you so quiet in church. I have never. I have never seen you so quiet in church. What about in schools? School governing bodies. Or in the different communities where we have community bodies. In all areas, I can tell you, where there's leadership, things are different. But there are people God has given the gift of leadership. And so that verse says, if you're a leader, lead. Don't sit on your gift. Don't bury your gift. Lead. And it says lead diligently. It already tells you that leading is a lot of hard work. It's very difficult to have to lead in some of these circumstances. Because sometimes the very people that you're leading don't understand where you're trying to take them. And when you try and lead, you need resources and you don't have them in your community. But you have to make it work because leaders make things work. They just have the divine ability from God to make things work. They make a plan, I tell you. Leaders not only give vision, not only motivate others, but they give direction and they mobilize people to become a team, to work as a unit, to fulfill God's purposes. So, here are the distinctives of people with this leadership gift. Number one, they provide direction for God's people or ministry or organization. They provide direction. Because the vision is about direction. And where there's no vision, people perish. Where there's no vision, people become demoralized and people go all over the shop. There's no direction. The second distinctive is that these people motivate others to perform to the best of their abilities. There are many people who have what it takes, but they just need a leader to kind of fan their fire. They just need a leader to place them where they belong and they can come alive. You see, Leaders are able to take something that's dead and bring it to life. Yeah. No matter how much they've been losing. <laughs> Number three, leaders present the big picture for others to see. So leaders try not to be caught up by small side issues. They try to give the big picture. See, here's the big picture. Here's what we can do. Nehemiah comes to the people and says, come, let us rebuild. Come, let us rebuild. But the Sanballat and the Tobias, they want to concern themselves with side issues. So you don't have their stuff. It's taking you too long. Do you think you will do this? Others have failed. Those are side issues. As a leader, you have to help people not to be taken off by the side issues and give them the big picture. Are you learning anything this morning, church? Leaders, number four, model the values of ministry or organization. Leaders understand that in whatever I'm going to lead, there must be values. You can't tell people to sacrifice when you're not sacrificing. And this is where the contradiction has been sometimes in some of the areas in, uh, in, in many countries of the world where the leaders sit in a boardroom, they decide that they're going to increase tariffs, they're going to tell the community to sacrifice, but they are getting bonuses and the rest of us are not getting bonuses. Then you wonder, Mara, how did these people think? Leaders number six, take responsibility, number five rather, take responsibility and they establish goals. Leaders take responsibility. L listen to this person. People who don't have the leadership gift don't like giving an account. There are people who just, they would rather be number two. 
And there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong. It becomes a sad thing when you call people to account and they go through this long story. Have you ever had people go through a very long story? And this one is blamed and the weather is blamed and the, the aliens are blamed and, and everything is blamed. But they, they just never... No, 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 no. So they just never give an account. Let us step up and say, I'm wrong. Let us step up and say, look, I take responsibility. I may not have been here when this happened, but I, I, I'm the one. But I found that people who don't have the leadership gift don't like the burden of having to give an account as number one. And there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it. And so this is what I've told people. When you assign the tasks for different people in the organization, look how people are wired. But there are people with a gift of mercy. You know, people with a gift of that are nice, merciful people. They understand everybody. Don't let that person play a leadership role. Don't put them in a place that needs high leadership. They, they will always understand. <laughs> we had that situation with, with one of our, our leaders some years ago. You know, we had a huge dispute with some other organization on something. And we sent them there to go and present our case. And we were not in the wrong. Where the other people were wrong. And then we come back to the meeting and this leader is trying to convince us how we must understand the other people. And we say, Erwin, <laughs> we sent you there to go and stand for us. But then I realized over time, this person has got the gift of mercy. So they can go and do the other things that have to do with mercy. Mara, you don't send them. Don't, 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 don't let them be your advocate, okay? Your, 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 or your lawyer. They, 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 they are... They, they are too nice. There, there, are, there are some positions that don't need people who are too nice. Yeah, yeah, some of you, you are not too nice. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Because you've got to give leadership. Because there's a point when you lead where you may have to make the unpopular decision. Of course, we try to lead as a team. Leadership doesn't mean bossing or, or being a chief over anybody. But, but at a point, you have to give leadership. You have to say, look, we need to go this way. We need to go this way and you mobilize people to buy into that. But you've got to push on that and you've got to move. And there's times when what you are leading experiences a hurdle. And you have to stand out and say, God, good, this is where we must lead. You know, Zalana, if there's a day when I, I saw leadership at its best, uh, I've had many times, but this one left a mark on me, is at the, at Bipatong when if you remember some of you several years ago when, when there were several community members who were murdered brutally and there was a, there was a mass funeral at the stadium and, and, and people were very angry that people had been murdered like that and the community wanted to revenge themselves because word was it was people from the hostel who were armed by the previous system to go and murder people like that. So speaker after speaker at this mass funeral, came up and incited the crowd. And I mean, people were ready to go and revenge themselves. They're going to burn the hostel down. They're going to kill people. I mean, it was bad. It was bad. <laughs> and the soldiers were there with their caspers, armed with, I mean, the ammunition. There. I mean, I, I could almost, and I'm in this thing, and I mean, you're having chills all over your body because you say, hey, here, and, and the last item on this very explosive program was the late Desmond Tutu, Bishop Emeritus, Desmond Tutu. Bazalana, I watched with awe, appreciation, 
and total unbelief as Desmond Tutu stood there and in a minute he was able to turn a hostile crowd that was ready to kill that was asking himself why is God allowing us to die this way he was able to make a case for God to convince the people not to throw one single stone and to mobilize people for us to go quietly to the graveyards, bury people and come back with dignity and they, and they did I stood there thinking hey listen you can't go to enough leadership schools to know how to do that. It's got to be something that God has put on the inside of you and when the situation arises, that anointing rises up on the inside of you. And so many things get lost because leaders never answer the call. And leaders never step up. And let me conclude. So leaders are influential, they're diligent, they're visionary, they're goal setters, they're persuasive, and they motivate. But the cautions for leaders are as follows. Realize, leader, that your relational credibility takes time. So you can only lead more when you show credibility as a leader. Because there are times when people follow because of you being credible. See, there are times when people follow because you've been given a position to be their manager. You're leading them. Mara, if you do other stuff, then they get to a point where they don't listen to you. So be aware, leader. Secondly, we need to remember that servant leadership is the greatest thing. Being leaders doesn't mean we boss people. You need to serve the people you are leading. As much as you may be a strong leader, a visionary, and wired in a certain way, remember the people who are on your team are not there to be used or to be driven around. They are there to be served. All right? And note, you don't really need to use leadership as a position. If you always have to be reminding people who you are, I think there's a big problem. We are asking about Amina. Do you know who I am? Do you know who we are talking to? Let your actions of leadership do the talking. You don't have to remind anybody. You don't have to remind anybody. And I pray that those of you whom God has given that gift will rise to the occasion. Because our world desperately needs leaders to lead. If you're a leader, lead. And do it to the glory of God. Let's bow our heads together as we pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet. It's a light on our path. And the entrance thereof gives light and understanding to the simple. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I... I just want to ask, you know, like I was talking about Peter Sebake when his dad was teaching, he, he just felt something leap in his womb. And I'm using that in a figurative sense. Some of you have been taking about the gift of leadership. You, you kind of thought, that's how I feel. That, 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 that's how I seem to be wired. Yeah. 
Now you are understanding why certain things concern you. You are understanding why you always thinking about a preferable future and a vision and how things could be and should be. Maybe you may never have stepped up to lead. Maybe you're leading. I don't know. But you know as I was talking, this gift of leadership is one of the gifts that you have. I want to pray for you. Would you stand if you, you know in your heart? You may not be leading anything. That's, that's, that's not an issue for me. But you know that this gift is your gift. And it's what God has put inside of you. Just stand on your feet, please. I want to pray for you. Thank you, Lord. Look at me, leaders. The world needs you. The world needs you. Communities need you. Churches need you. Schools need you. If you're not serving in any position of leadership, I ask you to, and sometimes it might not even be a position in a school or anything, just in your home. Will you step up? Secondly, I challenge you to feed your gift. Many leaders do not feed their leadership gift. How do you do it? First way to feed your leadership gift is to lead. You, the only way to learn how to be a better leader is to start leading. Secondly, study other leaders or hang around other people who have the leadership gift. Thirdly, go to seminars, buy books on leadership. These three things will help you. They'll help you. Many people have gifts, but they never grow them. So they just never make any difference. Wherever you are with whatever gift God's given you, it can grow, it can be better. And I pray that God will help every one of us who's having this gift to lead with diligence. Would you raise your hands to the Lord as I pray for you? Thank you for the leadership gift, Father. I'm not making these people stand because they're exclusive. I'm asking them to stand because of the agency of the hour how this gift is needed, so much so in our country and the world. Pray for every one of them that they will respond not only by standing as I've asked them to, but that they will put their hand to the plow and start leading something. I pray that they will not sit on their gift. I pray that they will not allow their gift to disintegrate and turn into something else, but that they will arise to the occasion and be all that you want them to be. If you're standing next to other leaders, would you hold them by their hand, please? If they're next to you, if you're able to reach out to them. Father, as I touch the hand of this leader, I pray that the presence of God and the anointing of God will come upon their lives and help them to lead. May they never be comfortable in being passive. May they never have rest when they are passive. I pray that your spirit will always whisper to them and your spirit will always direct them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take your seats for a while. Keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed, please, everybody. Keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Everybody, please. Nobody moving around if possible. If you're here today for the first time and you've never received Christ as Savior and Lord of your life, you've been listening to the word of God and, and as you've been listening to God's word, you realize, you know what? I need Christ in my life. I need God to change my life. Maybe your life has gone the wrong way. 
You've gone in the wrong direction. You've tried by your own strength to correct, come back to the way, but it's not working. It's not working. Here you are, you're living a life and you feel so dissatisfied. Sometimes sad, sometimes miserable, not always miserable. But you know that something is missing in your life. And as you've been sitting here during worship, during the sermon, you can sense that God's speaking to you. Maybe not in a loud voice, but in a still small voice on the inside of you, you know that you really need Christ to come into your life. Our heads bowed, our eyes closed, please. If that is you and you say, please, would you pray for me? I want to invite Jesus Christ into my heart to be my Savior and my Lord. Would you please pray for me? Would you raise your hand right where you are, please? I want to pray for you. Just raise it high for me to see it. Thank you so much for those hands. Thank you for those bold hands that you are not afraid. You don't need to be ashamed. No one is going to make fun of you. The reason we are having a service and the reason we are doing what we are doing, we've done this for years and years and years. This is the place where people's lives can be changed. Destinies can be changed. Where God can turn your life around and put your life on a different, different, different road altogether. Thank you for those hands. Are there other people who didn't raise hands? You want to join these people who have raised their hands and say, please count me in. Please count me in. Please count me in. I don't want to be left out. I don't want to be shy about it. I don't want to be embarrassed about it. But I desperately need God to help me. Thank you for those hands. God bless you. May I ask all of you who raised your hands, would you please just stand on your feet right where you are? Could you please just stand on your feet, please? Thank you. 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 God bless you. God bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Oh, yeah. You know why we are excited? We know how God is able to change and transform lives. There may be somebody, you didn't raise your hand with these people. Maybe you are still seated, but you, you wanted to raise your hand. Maybe you are afraid, but you want to stand with them. Come on, just join them and just stand on your feet. Stand on your feet. If you've brought somebody who should be standing, just say to them, you know what? I'll stand with you if you want to stand. I'll stand with you. I'll stand with you. This is a time of transformation. This is a time of change. God wants to change somebody's life. God wants to transform somebody's life. Don't let this opportunity pass you by. Don't postpone. Don't say no. Don't act like God is not talking to you. Stand on your feet with these people. Because God wants your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know why we get excited? It's because we know what God is about to do in your life. We know what the decision is about to do in your life. So I'm going to invite all of you as you stand. Take all your belongings and just walk all the way and come to the front and stand facing the stage. I want to pray for you. Come on. Come on. Just come. 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 Walk to the front. Walk to the front. Come on.